We're going to continue in the gospel according to John. We're in chapter 2. We're picking up verses 13 through 17 today. Man, this is... John is such a good... Um, it's such a good study because he's so direct about who Jesus is. And when it comes to understanding what Jesus' role as being part of the Godhead is and, and what he's done for us, I really like John. I like John. He's, pretty, he's just straightforward. He doesn't beat around the bush a whole lot. He gets down to the, to the heart of the matter. And So we've already been seeing who Jesus is. We saw last week where... Um, Jesus performs his first miracle there at a wedding at Cana. He turns water into wine. We learned about don't be one of those stone-hard pots that's about half empty and that really is sitting in a corner not being used. So we don't want to be that. So this week, we're going to pick up where Jesus is going to go into the temple and he's going to see something that kind of concerns him. And I'll go ahead and throw out there to you that we're going to talk at some point in here that I'm a little afraid that if Jesus walked into a lot of churches today that he would see a very similar thing. But we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. So John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Here we go. Got them on the screen. The Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple complex, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Let's pray over the word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring your follower, John, to be able to, to capture the gospel from a perspective that you inspired him to write it in. God, I thank you that you let us see the things that you get passionate about. You let us see the things that are important to you. It would have been easier if you maybe would have, uh, you know, for some people, if you would have never let us see you get passionate and do something that was powerful. And honestly, it would have been nice for, for a lot of folks if you just would have been really calm all the time. And I don't know about us as men, but I think that we kind of appreciate that something gets you fired up. And so, God, I just pray that you will help us today to see out of your word what it is that you want us to understand and how we can apply it to our lives. We don't want to just read something and it just be historical and there's no application. But what does it mean to us in our walk today? And God will give you the praise and the glory for it's your Holy Spirit that makes that happen in our hearts. We just pray and believe these things in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. And church together said, Amen. Amen. So just a reminder that we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can hear me say this every week. You're going to be able to say this by the time we're done with John. You guys are all going to know this, and you're going to be able to repeat this. And if anybody ever asks you, you'll know exactly what it is. So we've got the four Gospels, which are what? Mark, Luke, and John. All right. And which three are the synoptic Gospels? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And synoptic means that they're similar. They, they have the same stuff in them. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
carry, they tell the stories very similarly, and they include the parables, and John includes how many parables? None. John includes no parables. Parable is simply, it's a story to illustrate something. It's using an example to be able to get a point across. If you're talking to farmers, then, you know, you might could share a story about farming. It would make sense to people. If you're sharing a story with guys, and, and Jesus did this with guys who maybe were working in industry, you could use something that's specific to their example. If you were talking to dentists, then you could use something, you know, that had some teeth in it. I, oh, <laughs> y'all, oh, that was bad right there, wasn't it? Man, my goodness, Wow. I felt bad doing that. I feel like I should back up and apologize. We should pray again, Jesus. I'm sorry. Wow. Wow. Uh, you just have to chew on that one for a minute. It, uh, oh, man. Wow. It's bad. It's bad. Anyway, that's what parables do. Parables allow you to use something that makes sense uh, in a practical application to somebody. It's not because people can't understand things or whatever, but it's just it's easier if it is told in something that, that makes sense in their normal everyday life. So you get a spiritual application with something that they can truly identify and visualize. So John doesn't have any of those. John just really goes about telling who Jesus is and that Jesus is God, and that's his focus. So we get here to this portion in John chapter 2, and Jesus is going up for the Passover. Now, Passover is a festival that, that happened in the, the Jewish faith, and this was them remembering the time of captivity in Egypt when they had, they had gotten off into sin. The Bible says that God actually allowed them to be overrun by the Egyptians. The Egyptians took uh, most of them back to their country, and, and they made them work. They made them work. They, they went into captivity. Really, it was all about the fact that they had strayed away from God because every time that you see God's people come back to Him, God goes, God fights for them. We were singing that song about victor's crown. God fights for them. God causes them to be more than conquerors, to be victorious. When they stray away from God, then stuff begins to happen to them because it's kind of like you know God's your defense system and you allow it to rust up and, and get where it's not usable. When you go back and straighten that out, then God defends you. And that's, that's kind of what Israel was experiencing. They would often go through this and the Jewish people would go through that. So they got taken to Egypt and this particular uh, festival of Passover was in regards to when the death angel... Uh, remember, they, they were told, they said, look, you need to make a sacrifice and take the blood of that sacrifice, put it on the, on the doorpost. It was going to be an indication of what Jesus was going to do eventually. I always think that's pretty neat that you know, Jesus becomes the lamb that, that sacrifices himself for us. His blood washes away our sins, and he's the door. He's the only way through. And so we've got to pass through him to be able to get there. And so when, when the people did what they've been instructed, and they took the, the blood of the sacrifice, they put it on the doorpost, and this death angel that passes over does not come to those homes. Does not come, he passes over. So that's what they celebrate and remember during this time period. The requirement was that every adult male within 15 miles of Jerusalem had to attend the Passover festival. So if you're within 15 miles, you have to come. If you're 19 or older, then you've got to pay temple tax. See, they had taxes going on back then too. 
Didn't nobody like taxes, right? So you're 19 or older, you had to pay a temple tax. Now, pilgrims that made the trip from further distances, uh, most of the time they couldn't bring, bring sacrificial animals with them. So they would get to the, the town and they would need to then purchase the things that were necessary for them to be able to do what then was an act of worship and you know, required sacrifice. So some guys got, some, got, a, got a seemingly a brilliant idea because not only would these fellows need to come and, and purchase sacrificial animals for their families, which by the way, praise God that, that we're not required because of Christ to do any kind of sacrificing. Thank goodness, because I'll just be honest with you, I'm not all up for taking out some sheep and all that stuff. I'm, I'm, that's not my thing I want to be doing. Um, so thank goodness Jesus came along and he provided the sacrifice. But, so these guys would get there and they need to, to get a sacrificial animal for their family. But also, most of the time, if they came from another country, then it's just like when you fly into another country, you know, nowadays, they don't take your currency. So you've got to go to the exchange. When Bird and I went to Uganda, you get there, and when I've been to even to, to Mexico, you can kind of you got some opportunities in Mexico. Sometimes they'll take uh, dollars and, and all that, but you go to Uganda, they don't. And so you've got to go to the exchange and swap your money for the money that makes you know sense for what they use there. It's interesting because that changes all the time. The exchange rate is different. So you go there today, you may get X number of their currency back for every dollar that you give them. You go there a week from now, it's something else. It's just something different. So depending on what the exchange rate is, and then you may have a fee even in some places where, okay, if you're going to give us your money and we're going to give you some of our money, we're going to charge you a little bit for it. Well, somebody got the brilliant idea that what we need to do is hey, the church ought to take advantage of this, right? Because the priests control what happens at the temple. They controlled what happened at the temple. So for there to be these animals in the outer court and for there to be money changers and all this, the priests had to allow that to occur. We're going to talk about that here in a minute, how that sometimes, if you're not careful, leaders of Religious organizations will start to allow things to be turned into a business instead of a ministry. Now, they'll disguise it under... Well, I'll talk about that here in a minute. So these guys... In fact, I want to show you, this is... Uh, you're not going to be able to read all the stuff necessarily because it's some small letters, but I want you to get an idea. This is what, this is what, the, uh, this is what the temple area would look like. So this area here... This large area that goes all the way around, that's the court of the Gentiles. How many of you are Jewish? I always think we're, we're, at one point we're going to find somebody that's, that's Jewish going to show up in one of our services. But there's got some, some lineage in there. So I always ask so I don't just you know, line everybody up. If you're not Jewish, then you're Gentile. Right? There, really only, there were really only two groups of people. It wasn't... Asian and Hispanic and African-American and Caucasian and all this stuff. There were two groups in their world. And it was you were Jewish and it was all the rest of us. We were all together. All of us that aren't Jewish, we were all together in one group. And so the court of the Gentiles was where all of us would have been. This is where we could go. We couldn't go into all the rest of this stuff. 
because we were not Jewish. And then even the Jewish people, let's just be honest, there's some separation there because you notice there's a court of the women. That's not what I'm preaching about today, but Jesus just did a lot to set everybody free. I just want to, can I get an amen? All right, all right. And, and what we saw throughout their religious tradition was the indications of all the separation that Jesus came to tear down and to destroy. So you had Gentiles that were separated from everybody. Then you had where the Jewish women could go into the court of the women. Then you had right over here in this, this kind of yellow where you had the court of Israel. Now that's where that the men who were Jewish could go if they were purified. Then you get up to where you have a holy place. This is hard to see, but it's right, it's right in this. So you have the holy place. Now that's where the priest could go. But then you had the most holy place, and that's where only the high priest can go. So there's this process of separation. Everybody can go into the court of Gentiles. Then only Jewish women can go into the court of women. Then only Jewish men can go into the court of Israel. Then only the priest can go into the holy place. And then only the high priest can go into the most holy place. So that's, that's kind of what you need to understand. So this court of Gentiles, it's all around this outer area here. That's where this event is taking place. So it's kind of like you came into the commons area out here, and what you had is you had a bunch of cows, and you might have had sheep and doves and all of this stuff, and you've got merchants that are out there, and they're hawking their wares. They are trying to convince everybody, come take some of my. You need to come buy from me. Can you just imagine? I have the best looking sheep, <laughs> right? You know, my sheep are the best. I have the doves that are the best doves. Hey, I've got the best exchange rate on money. Come over here in the corner. If you've ever been in another country and you go into some of the marketplaces, whoo, there are some salespeople out there. I mean, they will chase you through a market. I was, in, um, I was in Mexico, and I cannot roll my R's, so I'm always terrible when I try to pronounce names. I, I even feel bad, bad every time I try to say them. But I was in a town called Carretero, which would have some nice rolled R's in it if I could do it. And I went with a guy that was from Mexico. We went down into the market, and I'm telling you, there were people chasing me down because I would look at something in a shop, and he had told me, he says, don't accept the first price. Anybody gives you. And I'm going, man, I mean, I feel, he's like, no, haggle with them, haggle with them. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you know. So, so they'd say a price, and I'd, no, no. And I'd, I, he'd say, you know, he'd, he'd whisper in my ear, you know, they, they want $15, oh, for $5. And, oh, my goodness. I'd be like, $5, no, 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 you know, you insult me. And I said, man, see, I insult him. He goes, no, 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 just hang on, you know. And the guy go, $10. He said, tell them $5. I said, no, man, $5. Seven, $7. He said, no, let's go, let's go. Well, we'd take off. We'd start leaving. And a guy would be running behind. You don't like my stuff. You don't like what I had. Okay, $5. You take it, $5, you know. And now, imagine, imagine <laughs> something else. Imagine that the only place that you can come to worship the only place 
that you can come to spend a time of prayer. The only place that you can come to spend a moment experiencing God is a place where there are flocks of animals, the stench of those animals, because they're all filling up and they're, they're doing all their stuff, right? Let's just leave it. So you got the stench of all of that going on. You've got the noises of all, because it's not like sheep and all this stuff are just sitting around, you know, going, hey, just waiting on you. Buy me. Sacrifice me, right? I mean, they're making noise. You've got these guys running around trying to sell you on what's going on, and you're supposed to be here to worship God. And this is the only place that you're allowed to go in and worship as a Gentile. You're just trying to find somewhere to be able to have a moment of peace, a moment of prayer, a moment to come before God and you got sheep and animals and people yelling and people haggling. And no, I'll give you $5. No, $7.50. You know, all this going on while you're trying to worship. That's what Jesus walks in on. Jesus walks into this temple area, and this is what he sees. He sees, and he, he's the one who is there to tear down walls of separation. Jesus is the one who's come to get rid of things that divide people. And he sees that the worship of his father is being hindered. He sees it's being diluted, it's being profaned, that even the Gentiles' ability to worship is just being marginalized. Who cares about them? Right? They weren't, they weren't letting all these animals and stuff into the court of the women. They weren't letting them up around the great altar and into the court of Israel. But who cares about these Gentile people? So there's long, if we're not careful, there's, there's still a battle that we have to fight in the faith community where that churches and, and mm, I'm, I'm trying to be nice today, but, but where churches and people that, that say they are a body of faith, they're like, yeah, you know what? Everybody that's like us, we're all right, but we don't really care about everybody else. You know, you don't, you don't make enough money to be around our group of people or, or you don't look right or you don't smell right or you don't do... And, and so... That's what was going on here. And let's not pretend like that it still doesn't go on today. Let's not pretend like that there's still people that want to ostracize folks that want to come into God's house and worship and, and people want to still do like that and go, well, you know what? We wouldn't let something like that happen here amongst our people. But, but the people outside of that, we're not worried about them. Jesus walks up and sees this and Jesus gets angry. Jesus gets angry. Jesus gets mad. Let's not try to pretend like it's something else. Let's not try to act like, well, you know what? Maybe he just, you know, he was a little irritated or, right? Jesus gets angry. But he doesn't get out of control. Now, we think maybe it, because we're going, my goodness. He's like, he, he makes a whip and he's running stuff out and he's flipping tables and all this. Jesus demand, Right? He flipping tables, and I see some, somebody post, you know, a meme every now and then. It says, hey, if you want to ask what would Jesus do, flipping tables and running folks off with a whip is not out of the question. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess that's one way to look at it. But Jesus gets angry because the folks who are supposed to be leading people to worship are instead allowing God's house to be turned into a place of business. And, and so really you have to ask yourself, and, and let's be honest, I, I know it because I know it from personal experience and people that I personally know. Sometimes people are only attending services because it's become a place where they can make business connections. 
Amen? Sometimes it's, it's ironic how that, that if you'll watch, when it gets to be political season and politicians... Oh, we're just going to have to go ahead. And politicians are running for office. All of a sudden, they want to visit everybody's church. You, you didn't, you're not coming to worship. You didn't come to worship. You're coming to drum up political support. You're coming... And, and I'll be honest with you. I, I'm... And, hmm. You'll see churches that want to allow politicians to get up and give a political speech at church. But it's meant to be a place of worship. It's meant to be God's house. It's meant to be, look, I'm not a guy. We need good Christian politicians to get involved. But we don't have to take God's house and turn it into a political platform. Because guess what? You're liable to, if you're really reaching your community, you're probably going to have some people that don't agree. All right? You're probably going to have some people. I hope that we have people that show up in Unity Point that don't necessarily agree politically. I hope that we have people that show up that don't necessarily. Why? Because that means we are reaching somebody outside of ourselves. That means we are reaching people that think differently and we are more focused on spiritual things and how we get there than we are in worrying about, well, if we're going to invite somebody to church, they need to agree with us on all of our political stuff and whatever. Look, I'm not, I don't think any political party has it all right. I don't think that any politician, just because they say, this was not in my notes, I'm giving you this from free, just because they say they're aligned with some particular thing does not mean that's what they believe, does not mean that's what they really live or anything else. Look, what I'm about is let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus because I promise Jesus will get us right on how we believe and what we believe if we will connect to him first. People want to ask me, I'm not going to tell you I'm connected to any political party. I just want to be part of Jesus' party and whatever he says we ought to do and wherever he says we ought to go and whoever he says we ought to reach. I got more of that to do than anyway. I need to move on. Sometimes people are just attending church services because they're looking to network. They got a business and, hey, you know, church folks, we know they're going to get taught to you ought to you ought to pay your bills, and you ought to do this and do that. So, man, there ought to be some good networking right there. We build our business. I remember reading years ago about Keith Green. I don't know if you've ever heard the song. Uh, if you ever heard the song, Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. It was a song Keith Green wrote. He was big back in the 70s, 80s. Um, he died. He died in a plane crash. He's a great piano player. That's why, you know, I always enjoyed watching him and, and wrote some fantastic songs. Uh, awesome God you know, was Rich Mullins, was a contemporary of his, and that was that same time frame, kind of Rich Mullins, Keith Green. Both tragically died in, in some um, vehicle accidents between a plane and a, and a Jeep. But Keith Green um, expressed his frustration about this very thing. And he said... To this effect, he said, I don't understand why people in the faith community want to take and put a religious symbol on a t-shirt or a coffee mug and charge about twice what it ought to be worth. He said, it's an embarrassment. It is, it is commercializing things of God. And he said, it's ridiculous because people outside look and see that t-shirt is not worth that much. 
I mean, let's just be honest. Now you go to a, oh, now I'm meddling. You, you go to a concert or whatever in a Christian life, it's rare that you're going to find them having a T-shirt for $10. They're going to have a $25 T-shirt, but yet you can go down here to Walmart, mm, you can go to Target, you can go to somebody and get a T-shirt that's the same brand, it's the same thing. And man, they'll have them $9.99. They got a wall of them over at Walmart. They got all kind of stuff. They got Super Mario on them. Yep. They got Xbox stuff on them. They putting all the same kind of, they, they putting all the same kind of work into it, and that thing's $9.99. And, and Christian folks put a fish on something and think all of a sudden that thing's worth $25. Got a coffee mug. Look, that's what Jesus came up on. He came up on, and it was happening in church. It was happening in church, in the temple. And at the moment, he was less concerned about what was happening than on where it was happening. Because look, I mean, honestly, let, let's, just, let's just get right down to it. If you're willing to go spend $25 for, for that T-shirt just because it's got you know, somebody's logo on it you know, for church-related stuff, hey, knock yourself out. That's your $25. Spend your $25. Just don't try to sell it up in church. This is God. It's God's house. It's God's place. There needs to be something holy about, about the temple of God. And that's what Jesus saw. And so he creates this whip. He runs business people out of the place. He turns over their tables. I mean, man, he's laying pop knots on people's head. He's kicking something and taking names, right? <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. At that point, every guy that is around is going, now I can follow that dude right there. Right? Because he's been really cool. You know, I mean, he's doing some amazing stuff. I mean, we, you know, they've seen him do one miracle. They've seen him, you know, some people heard about him turning water into wine. But people that are truly wanting to follow and wanting to be in God's presence probably have been going around saying, man, can you believe? I never would have believed in my lifetime. Yahshua, could you believe that we would ever see them have animals and money changers and stuff in the outer court at the temple. I never in my life would have believed we'd ever seen it. Right? Yeah. There have been some people saying that. And can you imagine if they were around that day and Jesus came up in there and Jesus got upset. And Jesus said, I've had enough of this. This is not what my father's house is supposed to be. You are taking people that are marginalized and you are removing their opportunity to worship in a peaceful and in a free manner. And you are, you are in here robbing, you're charging exorbitant price, you're doing all this stuff, but you're not going to do it in my father's house. Makes him up a little whip, starts running sheep left and right when the sheep's fault, right? But, but hey, y'all got to go. You ain't got to go home, but what? But you got to get up out of here. So... So he's running sheep off, he's, he's running, and he's going, you know what, I'm not even, it's not an orderly thing. He's not like, hey, here's what I would like for all of y'all to do. I would like for you all to take and pack up your stuff. Do you need some help? You know, we will help you pack up your stuff, and I'd like for you to get, you know, and, and, and you know, can we get moved here in the next couple of hours? No. No. He's going up in... Kicking tables over, flipping junk, coins are going everywhere. There's, there's sheep running and everything. The only ones he does, he tells the folks with doves, okay, take your doves and get your doves out of here. <laughs> he was nice with them. 
Think about it. Because, you know, I, I just want to throw out, I, this is not something that you're not going to find it in the Scripture, but here's what I truly believe. This is the NIV version. This is the Nathan inverted version of what happened. I truly believe that at the end of the day, the reason that he didn't bust cages open and all that, because he was not trying to actually cause any harm to anybody. If he'd have busted open cages and let doves go, they'd have lost the livestock. When he just runs a sheep and stuff out, they can go herd their sheep up. All right? So he might, he might it's kind of like you, uh, you know, if you have to spank your kids a little bit. I mean, you're not trying to hurt them. You better not be. You better not. Not up in here, you better not be. You ain't trying to cause harm. But, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm getting y'all moved, you know. How hey, you telling your kids, you know, they're they five, six years old, and you're going, hey, you need to, let's go, pick it up. And they're not, and you kind of, you know. You're trying to encourage them along, right? That's what he was doing. Jesus was helping them along, but he kicking tables over not. But he says, hey, now I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, let you doves loose where you guys lose anything. You ain't gotta go home. You just gotta get up out of my daddy's house because this is not what's supposed to be going on here. So, John's account, we see. Then he makes a particular statement that I want you to to grasp. He makes this statement. He says. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. I don't know if you catch this when you read it, because you may have read this before. I don't know if you caught that he talks about my father's house. Do you notice he did not say, stop making our father's house? He said, stop making my father's house. Now, there's an underlying inference here that he's saying, you're not believers. You're not followers of Christ, and you need to get up out of the place of worship doing what you're doing. You in here trying to sell, and all, you are not here for the right reason. It is not our Father's house because you hadn't started being His follower, and you're up in here trying to sell stuff. So you need to stop making my Father's house. It got personal. This is my Father's house. Now look. If you got kids, particularly if you got daughters, how, how many of you guys, you got daughters? How many of you got? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So how many times have you, if, you're, if your daughters were old enough that they started dating, did you kind of get that thing where you got real personal if, if you thought something was a little, a little weird going on? Young man needed some correcting, right? Because you like, you better not be bringing my daughter back up in here late, and back up in here with nothing she didn't leave here with, right? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm saying. Stuff got personal. You my daughter. You, but so Jesus got personal. My father's house. God's passionate, and God is passionate about worship. Because when, when we see in another account of this, that uh, I think it's in Luke's account where he says, because my house is supposed to be, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. You've taken what's supposed to be happening in the temple and you've replaced it with something else and you've made it hard for the true purpose to be played out because of what you're letting happen in my house. Something's happening, but it is difficult for the intended purpose to happen because of what is going on. And God got passionate about that through Christ. He's passionate about leaders, ensuring that the place where people worship is one that respects the opportunity. 
for people to experience God, to engage in worship, and to express their need for God. But I want you to catch a different scripture here that's going to... Because, okay, so this is great. So they've got this temple, and it's got an outer court with the Gentiles and a court of women, and it's got a bunch of other courts showing in here and all this stuff. What on earth has that got to do with us? And what are you going to do with that today? Or Nathan, we just talking about the church or whatever. I'm going to honestly tell you that although I believe there's application to the church, there is a bigger and more important application today. And we're going to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Here's what it says. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? So, what this tells us is that while in, in the Old Testament we see that there was a physical temple that was where God dwelt for, you know, in the Holy of Holies, in the most holy place, and, and the, the priests would go in there. But we know after Jesus died, then we, we hear that the, the veil is torn from, from heaven to earth, and now we can boldly go before the throne so we can enter into the most holy. We can go into his presence. We can make our petitions known. We can make our requests to God so we're no longer limited where we can't be in his presence. And now the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. And we have become, and that's why I hear Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, don't you yourselves know that you are now God's temple, his sanctuary. Spirit of God lives in you. So here's the question. What are you allowing into your life that's interfering with your ability to worship God? What are you allowing to be in your life that's interfering with your ability to worship God? Are there things in your life that are cluttering up space that should be filled with worship, with being in God's presence, with engaging the God of the universe? When he came in to worship today, what was your focus? What was your mindset before you walked in the door? What was your expectation of how you would encounter God today? Because maybe like the condition of the temple in that day, your mind, your heart, and your spirit have been cluttered with things that stink, right? Things that, that are loud, and they drown out the voice of God, and they drown out the sounds of worship, and, and it makes it difficult, it makes it hard for you to find peace. This is one of the things I truly believe. You know, there's really, in my mind, there are two uh, two forms of, of worship. There's personal worship and then there's corporate worship. And that's not corporate like a business. That's corporate like us all together. And here's what I know. This is what I know. I know it from my own personal experience. When you begin to allow things to come into your life that, that kind of are like the animals, they make a lot of noise, they stink, they take up space, can you imagine? I mean, there, there had to be a limit on how many people could get into the outer courts because you got all these animals and all this stuff and booths where they're doing money changing. You had taken up space that should be used for worship and have consumed it and limited the amount of worship that can happen because all this junk that's gotten into this court of Gentiles. And our lives can be that way. We get all this junk into them. And you go... Yeah, but I can imagine at some point someone was thinking, well, they got to get some of this stuff done. 
I mean, they've got to be able to get the animal for the sacrifice for worship. They've got to do the money exchange. Yes, but you need, to, you need to vigorously protect the portions of your life where worship occurs. You need to vigorously protect that there needs to be the full amount of space available for worship and encountering God to occur in your life. Because if you allow that to start shrinking and you allow stuff to start moving in, it'll just multiply. I'm sure they didn't start out with the number of, of merchants that were there the day Jesus got there. There was probably some amount of people there, but it just grew. Well, hey, you let them in, why don't you let us in? And stuff just starts to make its way in your life. You know, you know this is the case. You know that if you have determined you're not going to do something, and then you slip and start doing it here and there, what happens? You start doing it more often it, it, because you, you just don't have that. It's not as difficult to, you know, when you say, hey, it's been three years since I had a drink. I, I ain't had a drink, so I'm just wondering. But, but, but if you say, hey, it's, if it's three years since you had a drink or if it's been three days, if you give in and you, is it not a lot harder for you to give up something that you've been for a long time you've been protecting? I mean, it is for me. I, I don't know. For me, the longer that I've been, you know, protecting against something or I've been doing something, it's, it's a lot harder to give that up. It's not that hard to go, well, you know, I just, it's been like eight hours. <laughs> okay. We can start tomorrow, right? You know, let's, let's go ahead. Line them up, Barkeep. Let's go. Right? That's the, way things, that's the way things go. Maybe there's stuff that's come in, made its way into your life, and you know, you know it doesn't need to be there. You know that, that it, it battles for space, it battles for your attention. I'm, I'm going to use, I'll use this example from today. I, uh, I always wrap up my, my sermon stuff on Sunday morning, I'm, I'm Everybody's got their own way of, of how they do. Uh, I've, it doesn't happen very often, but every now and then God will just change a little bit of something that I'm thinking or something I'm going to use in a sermon. I've all, I've, I let it percolate all week in my head, and, and I've, I've got it kind of mapped out. I could preach it on Wednesday, but, but I, it ends up, I let it go all the way, and sometimes something will happen, whether it's the news or, or I find out something you know that's even going on in, in in uh, our society or, or even locally within the church or something, and God will just use that. But so every Sunday morning, I get up, and uh, by, you know, usually about 6.30 or so, I'm, I'm in the front room, and, and I'm sitting there with my computer, and I'm just wrapping up the last of my notes. And, and so uh, a lot of times I will I'll plug in, and I'll have probably a couple of songs playing that, are, that we're going to do today, you know, on that given Sunday morning. Now, what happens sometimes, though, is everybody else in the, in the house starts getting up. And when they start getting up, they go to the bathroom, and, and they, they, they got a, a speaker going in the bathroom, and so there's music going in the background. It was going on this morning. There's music going on in the background, so I have to start turning my music up, <laughs> right? <laughs> or else I'll put my headphones on. Because, you know, it, it, we've talked, uh, I've talked to different people before, and we'll be talking about how do you study I can't listen to songs that I know while I'm trying to study something because my brain starts focusing and I'm thinking lyrics. I'm thinking, you know, and I'm, I'm over there, you know, doing, you know, give it away, give it away, give it away, whatever it is, you know. 
whatever the song is. You know, and it's in the back of my head, and, and, and I realize all of a sudden I'm not as focused as I need to be. And if y'all knew what that song was, then that tells me something. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, but I, so I'll have, a lot of times I'll have something playing. If I'm really trying to focus in, I'll have to play some stuff that's, you know, I'll either let like some fusion jazz play or, or even some classical, something that's, that's going to not make me think lyrics. Stuff is that way stuff that's going on in our life, it competes for our thoughts. It competes for our focus. And when it comes time to worship, it can be hard. Right? Let's just be honest. You may have pulled up in the car today and y'all were fussing on the way here. You may have pulled up in the car today and you were thinking about fussing with somebody on the way here. Let's not act like it doesn't happen. It's happened in my life. You know, that's why we drive separate now. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. I'm just kidding. That's not why we drive separate. <laughs> no. But you know what? I mean, it's not like life stopped on the way here, right? So you got to actually put some work into saying, hey, when it comes time for me to enter this arena of worship, I may have to just go to the altar with some stuff. I, I may have to stop and I may have to say, hey, you know, God, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to help me. God, I, I need to lay this thing I need to give it to you. I'm not trying to pretend like it's not happening. I'm not trying to pretend like it's not here. But God, I need it because I want to come into your presence. And so I need your help. It's not necessarily I need you to get the, you know, get the whip up and run them people out of my life necessarily. But God, I need to get these thoughts out. And I need to get this stuff out of the way because I need my capacity to worship you to be full. I need it to be fully available. Because my life, I don't know about you guys, and, and it's not like i got terrible stuff going on in my life or anything. I don't, man. My life's actually, you know, at the moment is, is really good. I mean, I wouldn't deny that. I mean, i got some challenges in the workplace on some stuff that I'm needing to get done and some stuff I'm needing people to do. But, hey, that's, that's why they call it a job, right? It's work. All right? So you all know that. Everybody knows, hey, work is, is work. It's not fun. It's not games. That's not what it's, you can have fun and all that. But it's still work. All right? So, so I don't consider that's not bad. Look, I mean, I got, I got all my family around me right now. I mean, we get to come to church together right now. Got, all, got a lot of good stuff that's going on. But let's not, let's not pretend like that there aren't things that compete and that try to draw you away. And, and so in the moments, I still realize. Because if I'm having things great or things are going good at the moment, then then I'm trying to pour that into other people. I want to be able to be used of God so that I can speak positive things into somebody else's life when stuff's maybe difficult in mine. There's other times where Bobby McFerrin had it right, and it's going to have to be lean on me, right? I'm going to have to call you if you need a friend, right? That's sometimes the way it happens. So in the moment, if things are going good for me, I want you to be able to lean on me. But there may be a time where I need to come to you and say, man, hey, it doesn't matter that I'm the pastor or whatever else. Man, life still happens to me. I need some encouragement. I, I need to be able to have you pray for me and, and pray about this specifically. So all of us are needing that full capacity for worship so that we can get into God's presence and be filled up. We don't need stuff that's competing with that. So I want to ask you today. You're here. But are you really here? You're here today, but are you really here? 
You know, you, what did you think was going to happen today? Did you even ask God to do anything before you got here for corporate worship today? It's not that God's got to do something while you're here. All right, let's not pretend that. You have a personal relationship with him. But if you're going to come together with a group of believers, with people that ought to be able to support you and encourage you and, and, and pray with you and all that stuff, what would you ask God to do in your life today before you got here? When you say, God, I know that I'm going where we're going to focus on trying to worship you in prayer. We're going to worship you in music. I'm going to hear the word. God, I need you to do this in my life today. God, I want to meet you today. I want to encounter you today. I want to be in your presence today. And I don't, God, I don't know what you're going to cause that to look like today. Man, there's been times where I've gotten in God's presence and I was so excited. I, if I'd have tried to run around this whole block ten times. Thank goodness the EMTs are not far away, but, but, but I'd have tried to do it. There's been other times where I've gotten in God's presence, and man, I just felt I wanted to be on my face, and I cried. I'm not ashamed of it. So what, what, did, what did you expect God to do? Not what did you expect the church to do, what did you expect the music to be like. What did you expect God to do in your life today? What did you ask him to do? What do you need him to do? Surely you've got something you're needing God to do in your life today. Maybe it's, maybe it's connected to you. Maybe it's, God, I need you to move in this person. I need you to move in this relative of mine's life because they're having a lot of issues and problems and, and they've got job things and they've got this and they've got that. And God, I need you to do something in them for them. God, I've got a job situation myself, or God, I have this, or God, I have a relationship thing, or God, there's this thing that I am working on that it's been cluttering up my life, and I am asking you today, God, to help me. Help me have a sense that I'm going to have victory over this thing through you. First and foremost, I mean, when we get right down to it, the question is, you're here, but is Jesus really the Lord and Savior in your life? And I, I always try to clarify, I'm not saying at some point in your life did you pray some prayer and somebody said, repeat this after me. I'm not against the repeat after me stuff and all that. I'm okay with because ultimately it wouldn't matter if you just said, dear Jesus, if your heart was crying out and asking God to, to be your Lord and Savior, I promise God's got you. God's got it. You can say the best sounding prayer in the world and make it all sound exactly right and have no heart behind it and you don't truly mean it and it didn't do anything. There's no magic formula. Say this stuff just like this. Wave your arm three times. You know, stand up and come to the front and boom, you got saved. I mean, it's just simple. The Bible talks about if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that he's the Lord, then you get saved. We make it hard. The hard part is not getting saved. The hard part is getting to the point where that you are truly ready to surrender. That you're ready to say, God, I give you everything. And I always tell people, you know that if you've surrendered your life to him, then your life changes. You live a different life. You have a different attitude toward prayer. You have a different attitude toward God's word. You have a different attitude toward worship. If your life isn't different, then today's the time to make that change. Allow Jesus to become your Lord and Savior. These guys know, these musicians know, because I have promised them 
I, I say it oftentimes. We're going to do the song. We're going to do the song because it's one of my favorite songs. If you want to think less of me because it's one of my favorite songs, it's okay. It's still my favorite song. I love you too, but it's still my favorite one. Of my, it probably is almost my favorite song. And it's Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror. Sorry. If that hurts your feelings. I love it. I mean, he talks about, you know, you, you see in somebody that doesn't have a, you know, a nickel to loan. You see somebody that doesn't have, and he says, if you want to make a change, take a look at the man in the mirror and make that change. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the most accurate, I mean, that's a great spiritual song. I'm starting with the man in the mirror, and I'm asking him to make a change. No message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make that change. Oh, see, so y'all know it. That's what I'm talking about. That's what, that's what I'm asking you to do today. The difference is, is, is you don't just have to look in the mirror and you make the change. It's you look in the mirror and say, I need to make a change. But I'm not sure how to do that. And Jesus says, I got you. I will come in and make the change. If necessary, I'll run some stuff out of your life if you'll let me. That's what he says. I'll get some stuff out of your life. I'll clean things up. I'll get some stuff moved out so that you can truly worship me. So today is the day that you can come before God and ask him to help you drive those things out of your heart. Let's pray. Father.